It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. New music just for today. I'm James Rapine. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, the iHeartRadio app. Also, Megaphone, great to have you in on a Wednesday. A lot to get to. Joe Goodberry coming up in just a second. Some breaking news. By the way, I'm on Twitter, at James Rapine, at Locked On Bengals. Some breaking news that uh, happened just a, a couple hours ago. John Ross has been placed on injured reserve just hours after Marvin Lewis said that he would potentially play this week. So a mixture of emotions for me. As you know, I'm a big John Ross guy. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And uh, the latest on the Enquirer, the the Cincinnati Enquirer reporting that John Ross will have season-ending left shoulder surgery. Uh, They're unaware. They're not sure when it happened, when the injury happened, but uh, he underwent an MRI today. The left shoulder is not the shoulder he had operated on this past offseason. That was the right shoulder. So that's the latest as of right now, me doing that. And uh, with that, we welcome in Joe Goodberry. Joe Goodberry joins us every single week. He's on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, so make sure you give him a follow. Joe, so much to get to, so much to dive into. Let's start with the breaking news of John Ross. John Ross put on injured reserve just hours, literally hours, after Marvin Lewis said in front of me, a bunch of other reporters, that he was going um, that, that he was going to potentially suit up this week and play and, and that it was likely. Now he's on injured reserve. You're instant reaction to to John Ross's season being over really before it started um I it, it's probably mostly a feeling of you know just complete confusion of what happened how did we get here to this point coming off the worst loss of the season not just that and being besides being mathematically eliminated they're not they are pretty much practically eliminated from the playoffs um, and then this happens, you know, the last glimmer of hope that, Hey, maybe we'll get to see John Ross these last four games. Maybe we'll see this offense that I think is actually hitting its stride or at least finding itself a little bit, uh, get a much needed weapon and, and, and some speed. And I was excited when he said Ross is going to play, you know, you can, you're out of it. That's okay. I'll still watch because I want to evaluate these guys. I want to see what this team has going into next year. Um, now we don't get that. Ross goes on IR with a different injury, uh, uh, the other shoulder, not the same one he had, he had surgery on this offseason. Uh, while he should be ready for next year, you have to you have to look at this and say, the list of wide receivers that were drafted highly and that don't produce a rookie year is 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 a bad list. You don't get anybody that comes out of it and has a successful career. They may be okay. They may have uh, decent careers. None of them turn out to be superstars. And I know that's, you know, everything is a circumstance. Everything has its own uh, nuances to it. But just putting it in a, in a bucket of history, Ross is is in a bad, bad group of receivers that, that really don't turn out. And for whatever reason, maybe the injuries linger. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, mentally they don't have it or because the team moves on. Because let's face it, at this point, the Bengals still need a speed receiver. They still need help at wide receiver. Now you're going into next year, and we've seen this how many times, whether it be at corner, whether it be at offensive line. 
where they will let a free agent go or they'll go into the season saying, we got this guy, this guy can start, this guy can play, we know he can, and then that guy can't play or it, it's a massive hole on your team. And they could, and that's and I like Ross coming out, but you going into next year, if you're saying he's a starter, it's a big question mark. It's a big unknown. And I don't, I don't feel like you can go into next year and not add another receiver, whether it's in the draft or free agency, to help this group out. And uh, and then they'll be overcrowded again, and there's snap issues again for everyone. I just feel like, it, you know, it just sucks. It just overall completely, um, they botched this completely for the ninth pick on a bad team to not see the field and not produce in any way, shape, or form. You can look at almost 20 different players and say they should have taken them in hindsight, even though we loved Ross and still do. At some point, production matters, and they got none out of John Ross this year. He's Joe Goodberry. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. And that's the, the thing you mentioned, and you wrote about this for Bengals Wire a couple weeks ago, the, the importance of rookie production. And on this podcast uh, about two weeks ago, Andrew Hawkins discussed it, and he discussed John Ross. And he pretty much told me, like, man, if, if you want a player to become a bust, then you just need fans, you need media, you need everyone to, to gather it up and, and, and basically get your pitchforks and call him a bust because he hears it. And players hear that stuff, and they hear it, and they hear it, and they hear it. And I, I'll say this. I, I talked to John. I told him to stay off social media, but I know he's on it. <laughs> I know he still looks. I know he still pays attention. So for the next seven, eight months, he's going to be called a bust. And at some point, man, like you've been injured, you're, you're hearing that for months and months and months. That's a lot to overcome. It just is. And he's overcome some major injuries in his career. So, you know, that's the hope is maybe he's mentally strong to handle it, to know he's, you know, betting on himself. Whenever you get hurt like that, seriously, hurt, players will tell you, you have to bet on yourself. You have to become your own best friend. Um, you know, you have to work through a lot mentally as, as well as physically. And not that this injury is major. Obviously, it's costing him the rest of the year, but they say he'll be ready for camp or, or OTAs in the spring. Um, it's still a similar scenario where he's going to have to keep a positive attitude and realize, you know, a new coaching staff is likely coming in, maybe a whole new staff. Um, they're going to use you differently. They're going to have a different perspective. That could be positive and negative. Because I also looked at this group of receivers that don't produce that, that rookie year, and half of them got new coaches the following year, and the new coaching staff just kind of threw that guy off to the, to the, to the side because it wasn't their guy. We've seen we've had Marvin Lewis forever now. We don't know what it's like when a new coaching staff comes in and they want their guys. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Ross. It's just very disheartening to to look at the situation. Um, I can't imagine how he feels because we don't know every detail for what happened behind the scenes because it is weird that he wasn't on the practice report or the injury report uh, the final day of practice last week. Shows up, can't practice this week. Mar Marvin thought he had a chance of playing. Um, and he can't practice, and they throw him an IR a couple hours later when an MRI comes back or whatever the case may be. Uh, it just shows you there was something else going on behind the scenes, whether this injury was lingering for a while and he decided to shut it down or he couldn't practice through it or couldn't play through it. Uh, for whatever reason, whatever case it may be, um, just overall, it's just just the worst outcome from a rookie season. I can remember from the Bengals in a long time. Yeah, it, it's that's the thing to me, and, and this is the Locked on Bengals podcast. He's Joe Goodberry. Like, as bad as Monday is, and this is the film review, and yes, we are going to get into to, to Monday and, and the good and the bad and all of the, the ugly that was Monday night football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But this would have been like a, oh, 
that's something to look forward to. Oh, there there could be a light at the end of the tunnel going into this offseason. Heck, I was talking with, with Mo during one of our, our pre-show meetings, Mo Egger, and, and I was like, well, yeah, what happens if they just get a new coaching staff, upgrade the line, Ross showed some promise towards the end of this year, then you have A.J. Green and Ross mixing behind a, a legitimate line. Even if they bring back Andy, which I think is the most likely thing, I was like, you could sell me on that offense, and I, I don't think this defense is going to get awful o- overnight. So I was like, huh, there could be hope for 2018 in this. It doesn't mean there's not hope for 2018, but it puts a little bit of a wrench in it. It does. Like I said, now you have an unknown at a, an unknown at a position that could have been a strength. You know, they tried to turn receiver from a strength in 2013, 14, 15, and then they lost uh, um, Sanu and Marvin Jones. And it was a weakness last year, definitely. I think most people would agree uh, it was the weakest point of a bad offense. And then so they wanted to turn it into a strength. That's why they were aggressive with it. They said, we need to get faster. We need guys that can stretch the field. We need to get younger at this position. They drafted two guys in, in you know, first round, fourth round with Josh Malone and, and John Ross and said, we're going we're gonna to make this a strength of this team. We know what makes Dalton good. We know what will help, what will help this offense. We'll make this offense dynamic. And – they didn't accomplish that. They didn't fill that need only because they drafted the guys. We're sitting here now, and I would still say they have an issue at the other outside wide receiver spot. If that's, even if that's LaFell with Boyd in the slot, or LaFell's been playing most of the snaps in the slot since Boyd uh, was injured and kind of disciplined for whatever. Um, so LaFell's been in the slot. It's been Malone on the outside. While he's had a couple plays, overall he's been just a guy out there, so we really don't know what he is still. Uh, I would say going into this offseason, it is a need. And it's not always a need. Like offensive tackle was a need for them last year, and they didn't address it because they had two guys they drafted that they had to go forward with. And that's the scenario that is scary because you, when you draft a guy in the first round, top ten especially, mm-hmm. you have to go forward with them. You have to see it through completely. And they didn't do that this year. <laughs> but they're going to do it next year. They have to. And we like Ross. We think he's going to be a good player. It just leaves some unknown, and that's scary. He's Joe Goodberry. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. It's our weekly film review. Let's dive into it, Joe. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Um, hell, I don't even know where to start when it comes to Monday night. Let's start with uh, the good, because they started off well. The Bengals dominated about as much as I thought they would in the they could possibly do in the run game. I mean, it was the best-case yeah. scenario for me. What did you see from the line? Why were they good up front? And, and obviously the running backs had some holes to run through. We've slowly seen them start whittling away what they thought they could do to what they can do. And whether that's the change in coordinator from Zampezi to Laser, and it took some time to really turn over this entire playbook and, and get lasers in there, but they're definitely out of the shotgun much more. They can run power out of the shotgun now, which they couldn't do before with a fullback in front. And I thought that's how Mixon had a, a couple of nice runs uh, in the previous couple of weeks. Geo had one this week. Uh, but also, the inside zone stuff out of shotgun has really helped them out. I just think they've, they've narrowed off some and, and, and took, taken off some of these bad plays, some of the bad designs that were in there that got them nothing continuously, but they kept running them. And now they found a few plays. They found a couple of things that worked. And Dalton was getting the ball out quick in the passing game. So the offensive line, again, was hidden. It's something I've talked about, I feel like, for a year now. Those guys get open, Dalton gets rid of that ball, and you never notice that offensive line in pass detection. Um, Offensively, that first half was as good as you could possibly expect. I I think it's probably the best offensive performance they've shown 
this year outside of any of the Browns games. Uh, even in the Browns games, they've had some issues. There was almost no issues this first half, except for Dalton missed a couple deep throws, but they ended up making up for it with later plays on the same drive for a touchdown to Green. Uh, got a field goal out of one on the first drive, I believe it was, where he missed in the end zone. Mm-hmm. But um, besides that, I thought the offense was well-oiled. They look good, and it was something that we've been ramping up, I think, the last four or five weeks. It's been slowly getting fine-tuned and getting a little bit better. Dalton's been taking care of the ball, but they've been taking shots downfield. The running game got better. They, they figured out how to hide the offensive line a little bit more. It sucks it took 10 weeks to figure it out, but, they, you know, I at that half, I was thinking maybe they could run the table. Looking at the schedule, it's not too hard. You beat the Steelers. You win. You run the table. You're seven in a row going in the playoffs. That's a scary team. That's how teams win Super Bowls. They figure it out in that second half, especially that fourth quarter of the season. And then the real Bengals showed up, and they turned into, you know, what we always see. And I don't want to go too far because we're going to talk about everything, but that's what happened in the first half of the offense. offense. Everything clicked. It all looked good. And, Joe, th- that's the the thing that, that boggled my mind, and I know boggled a lot of fans' minds, and it was like deja vu on offense because the run game, it worked. You would say it worked fine in the first half, right? Oh, yeah. Well, fourth quarter, game on the line. It feels like it's crumbling. It, it's definitely crumbling at some points. Eight plays in the fourth quarter, one run. It goes for eight yards on their final drive on second and ten, and they don't run it on that third down. Andy Dalton gets sacked. I really don't know why he didn't make up his mind and run the ball, but that's neither here nor there. Should they have ran the ball more in the fourth quarter? Definitely. And, you know, they tried to stay aggressive, and I think that's something – when you look at the team as a whole, um, you would say running the ball is definitely their weakness on offense. I think everyone would agree with that. But they were having success that night. And I think with this team, they've often been slow to adjust in-game, whether that they think they're going to come in and run, and run the ball and they can't and they stick with it for too long, or they think they can throw the ball and they can't and they can't get off it. This time they were running the ball, and it was having success. And Geo looked really good. It was great to see that, to be honest. Even though Mixon got hurt, it was really nice to see that Geo can still do it. And hopefully it reminded them that they still have him and he can still be a weapon on this team. Um, But, again, yes, you get in there. They had some drops in the fourth quarter, and I think that derailed them, obviously. Uh, But, you know, if they would have just ran it and probably punted after three plays, we would have said, you got to stay aggressive. You were throwing it all over them. Guys were running wide open all game. So it's kind of uh, goes both ways there. But, yes, when you see one run and you were winning for most of that game, it's concerning that they couldn't figure it out or couldn't get out of their own way and really make the Steelers stop them. Um, That fourth down or that third down where Dalton took the sack though, if you look at it again, it was a screen pass to Geo that the Steelers were on, man. They, they saw all the way, especially uh, Cameron Hayward in the middle, but it looks like Dalton expected a blitz coming from the left side. So he looks, he eyes them down, turns to the right real quickly to to dump it off to Geo on the screen and both defensive linemen are with them with Geo. So it don't looks like, Oh, I can run it up the middle. And then by then it closed up. It was just, they had it. They read it. They played the position, they played it well. But it, again, I think it was third and two or third and three. It was, it wasn't that bad. Third and two. Um, yeah. You could have run it. There's a situa- situation there where this team definitely with geo back there probably felt like passing. It was the best way to go for the rest of the game because they've always misevaluated geo. I think geo has been a good short yardage runner. I think he's been a tough physical runner for a guy in a small size. Uh, 
I would have liked to see more, but I think we saw it in this game. And the one run where he gets hit at about the seven yards after the line of scrimmage and the entire offense comes behind him and moves the pile. How many times have we seen that this year? We haven't seen it a lot. I think this this line, this team likes Giovanni Bernard, and, and, and that right there, man, that pumped me up. He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. This is the Locked on Bengals podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, and the iHeartRadio app. We're going to get back to our weekly Bengals film review with Joe Goodberry. But first, a message for you fantasy football fans. Listen up. It's not too late to join the 500,000-plus people that have already downloaded Draft this season. You get to play in a real-life snake draft, but you're done in less than five minutes, and they have just one week. They, they last for just one week, so you don't have to worry about injuries. God, I, I can't believe we're talking about injuries right now with John Ross going down. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You're not committed, and it's great because season-long leagues are wrapping up, so if you're like me and you didn't make playoffs in a bunch of leagues, you can try Draft Win Money now, all you got to do is use promo code LONFL. You're going to get a free entry with a deposit into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. So that's it. Free entry when you make your first deposit into a real money draft. All you got to do is use promo code LONFL. You pick your players. So if you're in a, a league, a league, I say that, it, it could be a three-person league, a ten-person league, and the other people don't draft well, you can end up with a stacked roster for that week. Just search draft in your app store. Go to the go to draft.com and click come play free right now with promo code LONFL. Again, that's draft.com or you can search draft in the app store. Use promo code LONFL. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joe, I, I look at the the good and, and the bad, and uh, we'll do a little more good here. The defense, I, I thought Vontez Perfect had a really good game. Maybe I'm wrong, yep. but, but I thought he was flying around. I thought he was making impact plays. The defense was really good, especially in the first half, in my mind, on third down. It seemed like they were getting off the field. That last drive, obviously, uh, th that led to the field goal. They didn't, but... Overall, it seemed like a tale of two halves, essentially, for the defense as well. Yeah, and it started with uh, Pac-Man getting that interception on that first drive, right? Yeah. The first one. and uh, Heck of a play. But... You know, it, yes, yes. When you see the end zone angle, too, and Pac-Man's playing his own, and there's no one to his side, so he's drifting to the middle field more and more and more. And I think he's just baiting it and waiting for Ben to throw it, and when he does, he makes a great play on it. And he gets hurt. And and I said during the game, too, Pac-Man can still play. Still a good player. But the Bengals get better with William Jackson on the field. And I think they showed it again. And, and yes, he had a terrible mistake on the sideline that allowed Bell to run, you know, make that long catch and run for a touchdown. Um, whatever happened on there, typical Bengals brain fart. But it was young guys. It was Shaw, it was Jackson, and it was Evans. I think all three deserve blame when you see the see it at the wide angle. All three stopped on it and expected someone else to finish it. But Jackson and coverage was fantastic. And 
you know, that gives me hope for the future, too, because he looks like a true number one corner, as expected, as we've said since the draft and and, and all last year when he didn't get to play either. Um, and now they're using him, he looks like an impact player. But, yes, the rest of the defense I thought was very good. I, I thought Evans, as a rookie, getting his first full-time start was kind of up and down. Uh, I thought they picked on him a little bit in the passing game, but the Bengals linebackers typically typically get picked on by more, more by the scheme than their actual ability. Uh and then that last play there where, where Iloka comes across, I thought Iloka had two bad plays. The one he gets penalized in the end zone, that's the game tying. I don't think there's much of an option there. He went for the hit to try and jar the ball loose, ended up getting penalized and a big fine, which was initially a suspension but got reduced. But the one before half, when he oh. goes and goes to clear out Antonio Brown, yeah. and the ball hits him in the shoulder. I mean, it hits you in the shoulder. It's that's an easy interception. interception. Yeah. Maybe a pick six, right? If he's yeah. running down the, the, and if he sees it all the way, and instead he goes for the kill shot, and it could have been penalized, and it led to a field goal in a game that they lost by three. Um, the safeties haven't been ones to get their hands on the ball this year, and I think it's been about two years now since they've really gotten their hands on the ball. That was a great opportunity to do so, and for whatever reason, they went for the kill shot. And I think it it overall goes with how the Bengals play the Steelers. The Bengals aren't always that team. Sure, they're a tough physical team with everyone else. But when they go up against the Steelers and the Steelers start banging them around a little bit, the Bengals try to get tough and they try to get physical and they try to get nastier than normal. I mean, Geno Atkins had a personal foul penalty. He never gets those. And I, the call was maybe light or, or weak, but he still committed. It still hit him in the hit bend in the back. It just shows you they play out of character when they get against the Steelers. And you know what? The Steelers are always in that character. So it doesn't make them a worse team in those matchups. And it, it keeps the Steelers as a good team as they always are. And it may help the Bengals at first, but then it boils over and they can't contain it and they can't do it and they can't close at the end. This is a very similar game to the playoff game. Yeah. Um, different <laughs> players playing different roles in it, but it felt very similar. And, 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 you know, it came down to penalties. It came down to undisciplined play in a lot of situations. And I think it speaks overall to, the coaching staff, and I, I can't wait to get a new staff and hear that maybe, I don't know what it is, maybe it's not holding these guys accountable. Maybe it's not attention to detail. Uh, maybe it's not situational awareness. For whatever it is, I think we we see the worst version of this team, whereas we have good players. The Bengals have good players, talented players, that don't always play to their maximum ability. And, that, and it's, maybe it's hard to expect someone to always do that. But the flashes we get are so few and far between that it, it makes you wonder that a better coaching staff, because I think it's now time to talk about it as we head into the final stretch, talk about the next coach. But mm -hmm. I have hope. That's what I see when I see those plays. When I see Iloka missing that chance for an interception. When I see the defense giving up Bell uh, that, that long run on the sideline that could have you know uh, ended after a 12, 15-yard catch. I look at the coaching staff and say, why aren't these guys being held accountable for their mistakes? And they really aren't. And it's been 15 years under the same head coach. Yeah, that, that's what I mentioned yesterday. Is that was exactly why it, it's just time for a change. And uh, it, it's it's just it's so maddening. Uh, one player I want to get to because I think a lot of Bengals fans noticed him. And you mentioned the the final play to Antonio Brown. Maybe it looked like it was good technique, and I'm I'm just crazy or, or an amateur. But Dre Kirkpatrick to me has been picked on and picked on and picked on, and uh, the Steelers, well, they continued to pick on him. Final play, I mean, he has like they're like seven, ten yards out, and Dre's playing off of Antonio Brown, stumbles essentially backpedaling. It, it to me, 
if I'm a team, I'm targeting Drake Kirkpatrick all the time. What have you seen from Drake Kirkpatrick, not only against Antonio Brown, but uh, what, what did you see from him Sunday against the other receivers on Pittsburgh as well? You can say he's inconsistent, and it's not just from snap to snap. It's not game to game. It's within an entire season. He is up and down completely. And I think his lows are really low, and his highs aren't that high. And so when you look at the rest of the, how the secondary is shaped up for the Bengals, Jackson is turning into a stud. And I think these offenses are, are noticing. I think they're very aware of it. They don't throw to him. Even though Brown would be over there sometimes, they threw it twice and said, you know what, screw this, we're not going back over that way. And Darquette Denard is having not only his best year, he's having a very good year in the flat. You almost never see any passes completed his way unless it's in zone and he's in off coverage and they're giving the underneath route. You almost never see him getting beat anymore. And if you're an offense, where are you going to attack? you got a guy on the other side that we know is inconsistent in Kirkpatrick. But not only that, let's think about his scouting report coming out. Let's think about who he's been this whole time. He is an average athlete. He's got good straight line speed, but agility and footwork and, and transition skills because he's, he's a more of a long, lanky guy, especially in the legs, high hips. So when he's in off coverage, when he's got to turn and run downfield, you see him slow down. You see him all over the place where, where it really hurts his agility, his, his ability to stop and, and plant and drive on a ball underneath. He's got short arms. So you see him a lot of times in press situations or in situations where he's trying to stay with a receiver and keep his hands on him. His hand placement is not good. So he ends up holding a lot or, or not slowing a receiver down enough or doing it in, into a way it looks illegal. And then lastly, and I harp on it all the time with defensive backs, ball skills. Drake can be in coverage so often and so tight with a guy but have no idea where the ball is. And it'll land right next to him. It'll land you know, right in front of him where, he, where the guy catches it and Drake makes a tackle right away. So often he's right in coverage only to only give up 10 yards. I think he gave up seven catches for 78 yards, uh, not penalized plays or anything like that. Seven for 78 in this game. So most of them are short, but he was tested consistently deep. And there was penalties. Uh, there was plays where the ball looks like it dropped right over his shoulder and he never got a hand on it. Ball skills are so important. It's never been more apparent until William Jackson started playing on the other side. Jackson will get beat but he will not give up that deep catch. He will recover. He'll track the ball. He'll find out where it's landing before the receiver does sometimes, get a hand in there and rip it out at the last possible second. His ball skills are A-plus. So when you see a guy like Kirkpatrick that has probably some a D, D-plus ball skills, especially when his back is turned to the ball, which is in man situations and off situations um, or even press situations too, when his back's to the ball, he really struggles with it. And I think teams know this. The more he plays – the more you see him, the more everyone else looks good and makes Kirkpatrick look bad, and they're going to continue to attack him. And the Bengals already paid him. And that's part of the reason why you need to play these guys while they're young. We talked about it while Kirkpatrick was sitting on the bench and getting very few reps. That two and a half years in, they had to pick up their fifth-year fifth option on him. And then they play him for a year and a half, two years pretty much total starting experience. He was really bad, and then he was okay, and then they have to give him a big contract. That's the same situation you end up with Darquez Denard. Now you know. Now he's having one good year. You ready to give him a, an extension? You'd like to because he's playing really well, but you don't know if that'll continue. And we're in that with Drake Kirkpatrick now, where people are saying on Twitter, and I'm sure you've gotten it too, they can't start him. They they can't go on with him. They cannot mm-hmm. continue with that big of a weakness at, on the boundary like that. And I, from my responses, they already paid him. This team is not benching him. This team is not going to. 
do it, go away with him at all. He, he They paid him to be a starter. He will continue to start, and now they'll start scheming to help him. Whether that means you're going to shade that safety a little bit over there and help him out a little bit, you're going to put him in zone a little bit more. The, whatever the case may be, now the focus is going to shift back towards Jackson and Denard as the coverage slants towards Kirkpatrick to help him out. Offenses are now going to have to test the young guys, and that may make the Bengals' defense better for it because those two look like the better of the three corners, um, but it's going to test those guys a little bit more often. He's Joe Goodberry. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Is there anything else, Joe, just looking at the game? Obviously, it was an epic collapse, good, bad, otherwise, that you want to point out, want to mention? Uh, AJ Green almost had a historic day, and I hate – we only get a few of those, you know, in a season, in a a career even sometimes. Uh, Man, it could have been uh, 200 yards, four-touchdown game. I honestly believe that. The one got called back that was a huge gain on a terrible call. Uh, holding on Giovanni Bernard, that Cedric Abue, he got beat on really badly. That's the only reason Gio had to get in position to block an edge defender like that. But, um, you know, that game should have been A.J. Green and Andy Dalton having fantastic games and beating the Steelers to stay alive in the season. And we got robbed of that, really, from lack of coaching adjustments from the referees, from the Steelers just being a more mentally and physically tough team and, and just maybe a more talented team in some areas. Um and, and I think that is just – that game right there and that statement I just made is a microcosm of the Marvin Lewis era. And it's sad to say because he's been a good coach. He just hasn't been good enough for what the roster and for what the talent that has passed through Cincinnati has been. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, I, I think it's crazy. I was shocked. Were you, how shocked were you when they were up 17 nothing? Because I was shocked. I was completely shocked. And then that touchdown that got called back, what was it? that was going to make it, what, 24 to It would have been 24 to 10 at the time? 24 to 10 is what it would have been. Yeah. And you're in the third quarter, and they haven't scored in the second half a lot this year. At that point, I was like, man, and it only lasted a few seconds until you saw the flag come out. But, you know, your mind works fast sometimes, and you're like, man. Well, you're like, they, they finally really answered. Yeah, they answered. Yeah. Like, they answered the, the, yeah. the crazy weird play where Bell scores, and it's like, that never happens. I know. Normally, a bad play like that can shut them down, and they and they they put their defenses up, defenses up. They didn't. They went for it, and it was a poorly thrown ball. But it doesn't matter. Throw it to AJ Green and throw it to him in double coverage, and they did. And he made a play, and then he made the guy miss and ran it in. And in the way we've seen him do it countless times, and especially against the Steelers, and it just. You know, if you felt it like your heart was getting ripped out right there because of a bad penalty, and it's like, oh no, here we go again. I think you tweeted at the time. Is anybody worried now? Because <laughs> I think they got a field goal out of that drive. Yep. And I was like, yeah, I am. And I think everybody felt it. I think you probably got a lot of responses that way. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think, and I know we're just fans or reporters and analysts, I can't help but feel like the team feels that too. And it, it's like that. Here we go again. And that won't change until you have a culture change. And that's the exciting part of potentially getting a new head coach. Yeah, that it, and that'll come down to how uh, you just wonder who, when, what. Um, but uh, well, the when, the when we kind of know it'll be after the season. But Joe, and I'm sure we'll talk about it for a long time. We have a lot of chances to talk about it. Oh, there's no doubt we will discuss it. He's Joe Goodberry. Give him a follow on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Oh, real quick, what did you think about the the holding call on Pittsburgh? when Martavis Bryant had the touchdown return? I felt like that was a complete makeup call for the Giovanni Bernard call. It, 
it was an average play that go that happens all the time. I've seen it called before when the guy ducks his head down and the and you pretty much get thrown into the ground. That's on the defender. I, I feel like not the guy making the hold. I thought it was a bad call. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, how it looks optically, refs will call that because the guy looks like he gets turned into a pretzel and thrown to the ground. But football wise, that's not a hold. That's if anything, it's a mistake by the by the the cover guy and uh i think that was a complete makeup call yeah that's right i felt that way too i was like okay well they missed that call on geo and they missed that one so now we're even but it still was weird momentum wise like it, it just changed it the was. game and he, i think it's bad for the game yeah. they, we see two big plays like that it's exciting football these teams are competing um those two little plays those two little holds and we're going to take off two touchdowns in a in what ended up being a really close game Swallow the whistles. Tuck the flag in your pocket. No one's here to watch that. Agreed. I agree completely with that. He's Joe Goodberry. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. Joe, as always, man, I will uh, I will talk to you next week. I appreciate you coming on. And, man, I guess they're still alive, so uh, we'll, we'll hang on and, and see what they do this week against the Bears. Even if they're not, it's evaluation season. We can have fun in different ways, talk about different things. What players can we build around? What players look good? It, it, it's not over yet. We can still have fun. Joe's right. We can still have fun, and you can have fun listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm still in the locker room. I'm still covering the team. Nothing's dead. Nothing's over. Uh, Maybe Marvin Lewis's tenure in a bit. I will be at the stadium. I will have locker room audio for you tomorrow. Jordan Evans is the linebacker I caught up with. I talked with you'll hear that interview tomorrow on the Locked On Bengals podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. Look, I know this season hasn't gone like I thought it would, like you thought it would, uh, at least some of you thought it would, but uh, we'll see. You know, we'll see with John Ross. We'll see with this team, where they go from here. But uh, I, I do know one thing. I'm going to cover it. We are going to do it. We will dive into the draft like we did last offseason, but more in-depth than ever. So make sure you keep it locked right here on the Locked On Bengals podcast throughout the rest of the 2017 season and the offseason because I promise you we'll have unique content, unique guests, and uh, do it really where you can't do it anywhere else as far as Bengals coverage in a daily Bengals podcast goes. Thanks so, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm James Erpine. Next time's tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> this is the Locked on Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked on NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.